and welcome to Accountability Talks with AGA. I'm your host, Paul Marshall. Well, welcome back everybody from the holidays and Happy New Year. So we're happy to start it off with a little discussion on A123 over at DHS ICE. We have Jeff Nibel joining us today. We'll talk about some of his perspectives on internal controls and uh, some of the unique requirements at DHS. So without further ado, let's start off the new year with the podcast on internal controls. Hello and welcome to the podcast. Happy to have with us here today, Mr. Jeff Nibel from uh, DHS from uh, ICE. So good morning, Jeff. How are you? Good morning, Paul. I'm doing great. Well, won't you give our listeners a little introduction uh, about yourself? Tell us about yourself. Okay. Well, I'm, I'm uh, the chief of the ICE Office of Assurance and Compliance which includes internal controls, audit readiness, audit liaison. Uh, we also do the audit liaison activities for the GAO and OIG program audits. Uh, and we are responsible for the business intelligence tool that we've been developing over the years at ICE. Okay, great. Well, I think we're gonna kinda do a couple things today. We really haven't had a podcast that just focuses on internal controls. So I think, you know, just to be, be great to hear your perspective just from a high level, what, what do you feel internal controls really are and kind of the, the gamut of this. And then we'll get into a little bit more about ICE specifically. But why don't we start off with a simple question. What do you mean by internal controls? All right. Well, that's that's great. Great question. Uh, let me start off with a disclaimer that the, oh, the sure. views presented here are my own and not re- representative of ICE, DHS, or the U.S. government. Our attorneys make us say that. So <laughs> I'm going to throw it out there. There you go. Um, so, so what do I mean when we talk about internal controls? Internal controls, uh, basically in the broadest sense, are the activities embedded in process that prevent undesirable outcomes. They keep bad things from happening. Mm-hmm. They're the organization policies, the procedures, the actions, the activities that management implements uh, and all employees carry out to ensure that the goals and objectives of the organization are met. Uh, and, and again, bad things don't happen. Effective internal controls provide reasonable assurance that significant weaknesses in the design or operation of the control don't happen. Uh, it uh, ensures that bad things are prevented or detected. Mm-hmm. Uh, in a timely manner, ensures uh, more reliability on the financial statements. So some examples, maybe some checklists, reconciliations, inventories, segregation of duties, uh, review and approvals, uh, multiple layers of that, uh, policies and other things. These all help to mitigate risk and verify that the information is complete and accurate and that financial statements are reliable. Now, what would you say, you know, we hear about preventative detective controls, you know, what, what's the differentiation there? So preventive controls uh, help keep things from happening and detective so things, before the fact. exactly, detect something that might happen. So uh, a good example of a preventative control is locking your doors when, sure. you're, when you're away, it keeps people from coming in. Detective control is if you had an alarm system on your house and somebody did enter your, your house, you would only be able, you can't stop them from coming in with an alarm. Uh, although it's a little bit preventative if you have a sign out or something like that, um, but it but it notifies you that somebody did enter. Right. And you know, I don't know if you actually know this, but I'm just curious. You know, for for your organization, uh, which of the two do you see more often? Or you know, we we think the the best is uh, you know they can also be automated and manual. Sure. So automated controls rely on the system. Manual controls, you know, much more manual like checklists and reconciliations. Mm-hmm. Ideally, an automated. Uh, and preventative control is the best. Absolutely. The worst would be the detective and manual control, you know, and the others fit in the, in the middle there. Especially if it's way after the fact and it's almost too late to right. do anything about it. Right. <laughs> so if you can have a system control that 
requires uh, two signatures and the system ensures that it's not the same person mm -hmm. doing the approval, that's a great preventive automated control. Right. And then, you know, with technology the way it is, I mean, there's more and more and more of these preventative and uh, system controls popping up, of course, right? Absolutely. So, well, so let's talk about, uh, so we know what a control is obviously now, but, uh, you know, who, who really is responsible? Because you kind of hear this thing about, oh, is, is the auditor responsible? Is the organization responsible? Or, uh, you know, who truly should be responsible for this? So, I believe, you know, senior leadership is responsible in the fact that they set the tone at the top. They demonstrate independence from management. They exercise oversight for the development and performance of internal control. But beyond that, management's responsible for internal controls. They identify risks within each business process and ensure effective execution of the controls. The process owners, drill it down a little bit further. Process owners oversee key business processes and relevant controls. The control owner, responsible for the success or failure of the control uh, identified as a result of testing. Internal control unit, my staff, mm -hmm. uh, also responsible for internal controls. We independently test the control on behalf of management. The external auditors, you know, our external auditors on a DHS consolidated financial statement audit also provide an internal control opinion. Uh, we're the only agency you know, that's uniquely required that's right. to get an internal control opinion required yeah. by the DHS Financial Accountability Act. But more importantly, everyone's responsible for internal controls. Everyone's responsible for adhering to policies and procedures, to be good stewards of the government's assets, and identify areas and processes where controls could have been strengthened uh, to ensure that bad things don't go wrong. So actually, that sparks two follow-up questions for you now. Um, so when we say everyone, you know, what is a practical application of that? If you know you're kind of just, you know, regular day, daily worker person here, you know, what what should I be doing to really think about internal controls? So. One good example is uh, physical access controls. Hmm. Uh, we all have card card access, card readers, things like that. Right. Um, and they're often set up for certain spaces or floors or rooms or whatever. Um, and as an employee, you should make sure that nobody's piggybacking on your entry. Yeah, you know, that's there's, huge. there's an example there. So yeah, so any kind of just day to day, just you know, be be cognizant, you know, be aware of these things, and just uh, you know, yeah, that's a great one actually, the security and access, because that actually happens all the time. Absolutely. Um, and the other question I had for you. So yeah, this is unique. The DHS has this required internal control opinion, right? Correct. So tell us about that. Why is that? Or what, how does that influence how you guys do your work at, in your shop? Well, you know, I, I can't speak for Congress, but uh, you know, apparently years ago, you know, they had the concerns about DHS. Hmm. Um, it was a relatively new agency and the DHS Financial Accountability Act was passed, I believe in 2014. Don't quote me on that. <laughs> um, and it required the department to get a, an internal control opinion. Uh, unfortunately, maybe it was earlier than 2014, we've had seven years of hmm. adverse internal control opinions. Right, right. We get clean opinions on our financial statements, but the internal control opinion is a little bit of a elusive brass ring. Sure. We've made a lot of progress within the department and within mm -hmm. the components that fall into the department, but we still have a little ways to go. So is this a big factor then when you consider what you're going to be testing every year then, those findings from over the years? Absolutely. The, the scope is important. Uh, we're not going to get a clean internal control opinion from our external auditors until we can ensure that we do have good internal controls uh, internally. As we're doing our testing, preparing our scope, uh, and at the end of the year writing our statement of assurance for the, the director to sign, uh, if we're identifying material weaknesses or significant deficiencies or sometimes even control deficiencies, those are things that the auditors, external auditors, are also likely to find. Right. Um, so once we clean up our internal act, then I think we'll be much better positioned to, to receive the, a clean 
internal control opinion from the auditors. Of course, we're just one component. Right. ICE is, and you know, all of the components need to contribute to the department's uh, audit as well. Okay, and we won't talk about which ones are the ones causing this right now. <laughs> <laughs> it's not ICE. No, um, but so now let's talk about the scope. Uh, you know, so then what is the scope of, of what ICE what your actual shop is, uh, is is assessing? Our scope is quite large. We we look at seven financial or business process areas every year. Those would include budgetary resource management, fund balance with treasury reporting, human resources and payroll management is a big area for us, payment management, including card activity and mm-hmm. other procurement activity, property plant and equipment, which we break down into three sub areas, the real property, uh, personal property, and internal use software. Uh, and we also test revenue receivables. So those are seven seven big areas. Mm-hmm. Uh, we also test uh, designated financial systems. Mm-hmm. We have 12 to 13 of those that, that we test on an annual basis as well. Wow. Um, those are our core financial system, our procurement system, our invoice management system, mm-hmm. uh, some of our HR systems, all of the things that have a financial impact. So you're testing all of these every year, or is there some kind of a cycle? or? So we've gone through some changes uh, over the last several years. It used to be uh, only manageable for, for us to test each process every third year. Mm-hmm. And then we would test the system when we tested the process. Oh, makes sense. Yeah. Um, the one exception is that we tested our core financial system every year. Okay. It was that important. Sure. Uh, it's not just what we could do. It's what the program offices that we're testing can do. Right. You know, we, w- we would test everything, but they would choke on it um, <laughs> because there's the external audit, there's normal operations, there's internal controls. Uh, and at that time, every third year was pretty much all we could do. Right. The problem with that is we would test it, we would identify issues, we would fix those issues, remediate, uh, and it would run for a little while, and then we'd retest the third year, and we would be not back to square one, but, you know, it would fail in some areas due to execution. Right. So then in general, I mean, so we're kind of talking about some things, you know, how have things changed in your approach from when you first started doing this there and, and current day, you know? So beyond the testing every third year, we, we now rely heavily on risk assessments. We, okay. we cover each process area and each system every year. Wow. Uh, we focus a lot more on key controls. We focus a lot more uh, on our risk assessment, identifying the key controls and the medium or high risk areas so that we're not testing low risk controls that pass every year uh, that's that's not a good point. use right. of resources right. <laughs> so it, you know since we have to test everything every year and test all the systems every year focusing on high and medium risk controls key controls puts the the best ordinance on target actually let me ask you this so now because obviously there's the OMB requirements for testing now are there even more strict DHS requirements too on top of that We have to work out our scope through DHS Risk Management and Assurance, which falls under the Chief Financial Officer's Office. This is the time of the year, you know, October, November, that we're talking about scoping. Mm -hmm. Uh, We've been we've been going back and forth on, you know, what are we going to do? What can we commit to? uh, How do we think we're going to end up at the end of the year? What are our plans? Uh, And we actually have commitment letters that uh, officials have to sign off on. We have two different commitment letters: one for financial and business processes and one for information technology controls. The IT one signed off on by the chief financial officer, the chief information officer, and the chief information security officer. Wow. So we, we outline what we're gonna test, we outline uh, expected passing rates, mm-hmm. you know, where we intend to be at the end of the year, what our remediation plans are, it's all outlined in that letter. 
Uh, and that's our plan. That's our right. plan for the year. We like to go above and beyond if we can. We don't like to fall short of that. Right. On the business side, we, we talk about you know, where are, what significant deficiencies did we report on our statement of assurance? Where do we contribute to the DHS audit opinion? Uh, what should our focus areas be? Uh, do we think we can downgrade uh, any of those areas? Uh, and you know, how we commit to testing and remediation. So it's signed off by, by those officials and we execute. Right, yeah, you guys take things seriously over there, that's good. <laughs> so uh, let's talk about risk a little bit here. So, uh, and we'll get into, so there's this, you know, obviously enterprise risk management's a hot topic out there, but we're talking about risk assessments for the internal controls and we'll go back to ERM later. But so, you know, what are some of the risks that you guys are, you know, assessing here? You know, that's a word you hear a lot, but what specifically are we talking about? Sure, we, we think the risk assessment is very important, especially, uh, when we're planning our scoping and what we're going to be able to test and we're looking at inherent risk you know the susceptibility of financial reporting assertion to a material significant statement uh, assuming no related internal controls so if mm -hmm. we did nothing mm -hmm. you know what's the, what's the risk that's the inherent risk yeah, yeah. the risk of no the risk of not locking your door the risk of not having a mm -hmm. reconciliation the risk of not reviewing something right you know and then there's the control risk uh, control risk is uh, the risk that a material or significant misstatement that could occur in assertion wouldn't be prevented or detected uh, and corrected in a timely manner. And then beyond that, uh, we also look at fraud risk. You know, we might not see fraud risk in every area, but some areas are more susceptible to fraud. Uh, cash is obviously more susceptible to fraud. Uh, we look at travel and all of the card programs, purchase card, travel card, uh, or anywhere we think fraud might might be there might be a fraud risk right so actually so let me go back to the ERM so do you guys uh, you, uh, is the ERM program fall under your, your area well when OMB circular a123 was revised a few years ago and included enterprise risk management we were all spun up we were we were ready to go all right how are we gonna execute this you know what is our role gonna be how do we you know educate leadership how do we educate mm -hmm. the rest of the agency uh, and we started working on on briefings and planning and whatnot uh, along the way, we learned that our policy office is responsible for risk management in our organization mm. and had already uh, been dialed in to the DHS uh, risk uh, working group or process team or whatnot. Right. So we, we didn't entirely stand down. Uh, we took more of a supportive role. Um, we're willing to support uh, the policy office in you know, whatever risk assessment or risk register or risk appetite that, right. that they want to move forward to. Uh, we're very young in the early stages of enterprise risk management, uh, and you know it's a law enforcement agency. So, mm -hmm. you know, there's there's a I wouldn't say reluctance to throw the risks out there. The the agency is very well aware of where the risks are. Right. Um, but you know, from a enterprise risk management standpoint and the OMB circular standpoint, there, there's a long ways to go to get there. All right, that makes sense. So why don't we go back to the risk assessments here? Now, it sounds like that's a, you spent a lot of your time on that. How, how does this all work? Beginning of the fiscal year, we start by assessing the risk and identifying the key controls. Uh, key controls, critical steps in the process to ensure you know, internal control. Uh, we look at what could go wrong. Uh, and then, like any risk assessment, we're looking at the impact and likelihood. You know, if, if this were to happen, what's the impact to the agency, the financial statements, the process, mm -hmm. uh, and what is the likelihood of it of it occurring? Is it low? Is it medium? Is it high on a scale of you know zero to five mm -hmm. or whatnot? 
Uh, and then we calculate a, a risk rating and we look at that. Um, we'll rank and list them and we'll assess the effectiveness of the controls. We'll map the controls to related risks, map the risks to the related controls, uh, and determine what the rating is. And then that helps us to identify what we need to test and what we don't need to test. Um, like I mentioned earlier, uh, it doesn't make sense to test a lot of low-risk controls that pass all the time. Let's focus on medium and high-risk controls. Right. So as we're looking at the impact, we're looking at you know what what's the exposure? What's the monetary exposure here? Uh, what is the volume of the transactions? High volume uh, could indicate a higher risk or a higher impact. Um, what happens if an error occurs? You know, how does this look publicly? Would it? Uh, reflect negatively on the operations would it re reflect negatively on the agency mm -hmm. uh, and then what's the likelihood you know again is it susceptible to uh, loss due to fraud waste or abuse uh, is it a very complex process what are the nature of the transactions um, what is the frequency has this occurred before if it's occurred before um, that obviously increases the risk rating and sure. certainly the likelihood um, we go beyond that we determine the inherent risk we're combining the impact and likelihood and, and scoring it and then like I said it, it determines what we're going to test uh, and how we're going to test it not only what are we going to test but what is our sample size mm. um, for a, a high risk key control we may draw more samples uh, look at it a little bit more in depth medium risk maybe a smaller batch of samples low risk you know maybe just a test of one or maybe not any at all and how often are you doing the risk assessments the, the main update is once a year um, as we're doing our scoping and our planning. But after we finish the test, the test of design or the quarterly test of effectiveness, we go back and we update it. Did we find anything we hadn't found before? Is, mm -hmm. or, or has it gotten better through remediation? So do we need to adjust the scores upward? Do we need to adjust the scores downward? You know, how does it affect the scope in the future? So obviously you guys are putting a lot of effort into the risk assessment. So what, I mean, what are some of the big benefits you've seen from doing that? Benefits are we, we don't wait every third year to, to test a process. Oh, we're, right. we're hitting the process every year. Uh, and it and allows us to, to pet, put ordinance where it needs to be on the right target. Allows us to focus on those medium and high risk controls. Uh, it allows us to branch out and test areas we haven't tested before. You know, we, yeah. we're always discussing things or new things come along and we're like, well, we don't, we don't test that in this way. We've never really looked at that. We should look at it. We should look at it at least once to see how it is. And uh, I mean, I think we talked a little bit about it. So you, so you obviously, you, you touched the financial, the IT. Do you guys look at any of the non-financial uh, controls at this point, or reporting over those kind of reports? For the most part, we don't. We, okay. you know, it is, you know, internal controls over reporting now, more so yep. than internal controls over financial reporting. And that's something for the future for us. Yep. Um, there are a lot of assessments being done by other parts of the organization. Mm -hmm. uh, you know, our Office of Professional Responsibility does a, uh, they have a self-inspection program and a management inspection program that looks at a number of things. Right. That looks at um, credentialing, it looks at firearms tracking, it looks at, they look at a, a number of things that are non-financial in nature. One of the things we need to do uh, is tap into what's already being done. Mm -hmm. We don't need to do it. We just need to be aware of what's transpiring by that office or other offices. Right. Some other offices do testing related to financial activity. Our acquisition mm. office runs the purchase card program, uh, and they have their own very good process for monitoring the program, for selecting random samples, for mm -hmm. testing. You know, another area where we don't see the results on a regular basis, but we want to dial into that. Right. We, we want to be aware 
of what's in control or out of control and you know how many samples are being tested and it helps us to support our statement of assurance even right. better so that's an area of focus for us in fy 2020 to reach out and identify more of what's happening throughout the organization and then be dialed into the results right well because you all you also do the improper payments reviews too right absolutely uh improper payment reviews were a big deal for us uh, many many years ago we had about an eight percent improper payment rate that's pretty high right um, and a lot of it weren't it wasn't that we were making payments to the wrong person for the wrong amount and they were recoverable mm -hmm. it was that the, la the documentation didn't exist right um, so we worked for a, a couple of years on you know refocusing working with the contracting officers representatives working with the payment offices working with everybody doing a lot of remediation work we got that improper payment rate down to about four percent for several years so we had several years of 8%, several years of 4%, and then we re-doubled down, mm -hmm. focused our efforts again on training, on uh, re rewriting sections of contracts to require more documentation. Uh, and for the last three years, I'm happy to report that our improper payment rate was down to less than one half of 1%. Wow. Uh, three years in a row. And you know, as of last year, we received a waiver uh, to not test the, the main program that yeah. fell into our improper payments. We still, uh, this year, we're on the hook to test uh, one main one area, right. and that's the hurricane supplemental, the disaster relief funds that we received. Uh, so, so we'll still do that. Still do that, but that's not as big as testing a, a major program like we've right. done in the past year after year after year. Well, it's all got to go together. I mean, your strong internal control program, you know, the kind of a culture of controls, and you know, these these things are going to be reviewed. There's going to be an audit. There's an internal control audit. It makes sense that you'd start to see those rates come down, the improper payment rates. Yeah, we've made we've made a lot of progress, not just on improper payments, but yeah. you know, on the material weaknesses and significant deficiencies on our statement of assurance, as well as how we contribute to the department's audit opinion. Right. Well, let's uh, go a little bit. So we talked about risk assessments, and how about a little bit of the nitty gritty on the actual? You know, now you go out there and you test and you have some findings. You write them up. Kind of what's the next piece here? Corrective action is big business. You know, we, we start our remediation plans, our, our corrective action plans, our mission action plans. Um, but what we try to do, you know, specifically on the IT side, because information technology is big business for us. Mm -hmm. Like I said, there's, you know, at least a dozen designated systems that we're testing. Some are own systems, some are third-party systems, and we test differently. Um, but on any given year, we're looking at close to 1,200 controls. Hmm. Uh, and the department has a policy now that each control must pass every third year. Uh, so for 2017, 2018, 2019, we had three great years mm -hmm. uh, and we, we hit the targets. But now that we're starting 2020, it's almost of, as taking a step backwards because anything that passed in 2017 doesn't count anymore. Yeah, right. So we need to retest everything that passed in 2017. We need to test everything that failed in 2018, 2019, and we have to do sustainment testing. Sure. So remediation is big business. We're working on you know remediating the IT failures. At the same time, we're we're looking at our audit notice of findings and recommendations, developing the corrective action plans for that. Mm -hmm. Looking at the we've already built our corrective action plans for our internal control findings because we're getting those much earlier in the year. Um, our Q1 first quarter results give us a good indication of where we need to focus our remediation efforts. So, so we do a lot of that. On the IT side, you know, before we get into the corrective action plan stage, as a control uh, fails, we look at it and we work with the system owner or the system security officer or, or whoever and say, look, this, this is a failure. 
Um, what can we do about it? Can, can it be a quick fix? Is it something that can be resolved in two to three weeks? Hmm. Quick update to a paragraph in a manual or uh, an update to a checklist or something like that. And then we can put it back into testing. So instead of reporting uh, it as a failure for the year and just moving on to other things, mm-hmm. let's focus on a quick fix and drive our successes up. If it can't be fixed in two to three weeks, then we'll push it to remediation and put it into a corrective action plan. Yeah, that's great. I mean, why wait and you know go through the whole process and then, hey, fix this later. Let's just fix it now and let's keep moving. You know, right. Get things done now. Right. I like that. So a um, couple more questions for you here. Uh, I was wondering, you know, what are some new areas you, you all have kind of incorporated or expanded into with your program? Well, touching on that, the more rapid re- remediation, mm-hmm. um, we want to, it used to be that, you know, this time of the year, we'd have our audit results, we'd have our internal control results, we'd spend a couple months developing our corrective action plans. We wouldn't really start remediating until after Thanksgiving, maybe after Christmas, and, and the auditors are three months away from, right. from returning. Um, now, as we identify deficiencies, uh, especially with internal controls, like I said, we identify those a little bit earlier in the year, we'll go right into remediation. Mm-hmm. You know, if it's IT, the rapid remediation, if it's non-IT, we'll develop the corrective action plan in the middle of the year and try to get it resolved even by the end of the year. So we're not right. pushing it into the following year. And then how about um, some of the new things that have come out in the last few years, like fr- uh, the Fraud Reduction Data Analytics, Frida, Data Act, things like that. How are you guys uh, incorporating some of those things? Sure. There's, there's a lot of work to be done there. Uh, what, we, what we try to do right now is we, we work the Fraud Reduction Data Act, the, the Frida mm-hmm. um, items, into our regular test plans. Okay. Uh, we'll identify where our controls uh, could indicate fraud or susceptibility to fraud. And we'll flag those so that you know it gives us a, a better coverage. Testing it separately wouldn't make sense, so we, we build that into the regular test work. Data Act we we do test separately. We look at the we look at how the controls work in general, but then we're also testing the data submissions mm-hmm. uh, that are required by the Data Act. And then how about uh, some analytical techniques? Have you guys kind of moved into this area as well? Yeah, analytics is is the future. Uh, a lot of people, you know, put a lot of emphasis on robotic process automation. Mm-hmm. Um, that could be a great future too, depending on if it's used the right way. Right. But uh, analytical techniques will allow us to get more real time results. Uh, there are a lot of areas that are that are ripe for data analytics. Um, some are the card activity. We have thirteen, roughly thirteen thousand vehicles that we own. Mm. Every one of those vehicles has a credit card attached to it. The volume of transactions wow. is astounding. Yeah. So if we're able to use data analytics on a more real-time basis to identify potential split purchases, uh, potential uh, cards without vehicles, vehicles without cards, or, or mm-hmm. other things, it's going to be a lot more productive than you know sampling 45 transactions and testing it that way. Same thing for travel. Same thing for our purchase card. And we also have debit cards um, that are used for purchasing evidence and information. Right. We uh, think that the human capital area, HR and payroll, uh, is a good area for data analytics to look at where employees are in danger of possibly exceeding the pay cap. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's something we want to know before they exceed the pay cap because you're not allowed to exceed the pay cap. So once they do it, it's you know horses are out of the barn. Right. So there's there's a lot of room for data analytics. We used it last year uh, in one or two areas to select more targeted samples, but we want to do it. For more for using analytical techniques for routine continuous monitoring. Okay, no, that, absolutely. Well, you mentioned RPA briefly too, because I know a lot of the audit firms are starting to even use bots to help them 
how they do their testing to maybe expand the the scope of it or just make it you know quicker and have time to do other things so is that, i don't know if you guys have thought more about rpa for what you do we we think about it especially in the it testing when you're looking at user access controls or something like mm, that right but we haven't implemented uh, right now, you know, we're in our infancy stages in the agency where our financial management office or our procurement office might have implemented a couple of bots uh, that are making life easier. You know, very right. manual processes right. done by a bot overnight or, you know, you know, real time as opposed to a person sitting there all day long doing something. So, you know, we're, we're going to let them blaze the trail, but right. we're, we're <laughs> thinking about it. We're looking at it uh, and it's it's in our future plans. We're just not ready to pull the trigger on it yet. Yeah, I think that's where a lot of agencies are. But yeah, it's an interesting thing that's expanding everywhere. Now, um, I guess kind of my last question for you is, you know, uh, how about the way you guys actually kind of document your work? I mean, um, you know, is there any technological things you're looking to get into there? Sure, we've we've come a long way. We started years ago using Excel workbooks just like anybody else would. Mm-hmm. Uh, very manual and hard to get, you know, good consolidated information out of it. We moved over to a SharePoint system, right. uh, developed that for our own use. It gives us much better reporting. We can brief out to management. We can brief out to DHS. Mm-hmm. Uh, it gives us better status updates of where we are, uh, and we're testing a lot. Like I said, there's you know close to 1,200 IT controls that we're responsible for. So where do we stand there and right. across the dozen systems? Uh, and the same thing for the business processes. But where we want to go this year is we want to look at some, some more off-the-shelf technology, mm-hmm. uh, governance risk compliance type tools that would uh, allow us to uh, test more efficiently, document better, roll up information, brief out, uh, right. just, just get smarter about how we do it. SharePoint was a great bridge, but we're ready to move forward into newer technology now. I would think, we, I mean, you're doing so many tests, you have so many results, so many controls, just the amount of data itself, it'd be nice to be able to summarize it and executive view, dashboards, things like that too. Absolutely, automation's the key there. Yeah, well, this is great. Yeah, I think we're uh, right at our uh, time limit here, but uh, no, uh, thank you very much for coming in here. It's very interesting to hear about your program over there at ICE, and uh, any final words for our, for our listeners here? No, thank thank you for having me, Paul. It's been a it's been a pleasure coming here. Uh, the final remarks I would say is uh, one thing I've been thinking about for a while is everybody focuses on the annual financial statement audit. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's big news; it, get, it gets press. But I think people should be focusing on internal controls more. If we focus on internal controls, those items don't make it into the audit. They're yeah. identified and fixed internally before the external auditors find them. So internal controls is the key, not necessarily the audit. I like that. All right. Well, thanks again, Jeff, and uh, thanks for coming out. Thank you, Paul. That's our show. Thanks for joining us. Check us out at agacgfm.org. As I mentioned, this is the new year, so uh, we have actually have quite a little backlog of uh, podcasts, which we recorded near the end of the year that we'll be releasing here soon, and then uh, have all kinds of new ones lined up. So hope you will tune in. Until next time, this is Paul Marshall signing off for Accountability Talks with AGM.